Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has the capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss once and for all. So hello, everyone. I am super excited and feeling very privileged to have my guest today, Dr. Saloni Sharma. She is a clinical assistant professor of rehabilitation medicine at Thomas Jefferson University and also medical director of the Orthopedic Integrative Health Center at Rossman Orthopedics. She's a double board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation and pain management. And she recently wrote a book called The Pain Solution. And we're going to talk about all of that in a moment. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Sharma. I'm very excited for you to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. So before we get to the book, I would just love to know, you you have revealed to me before this uh, conversation that you are, so you're traditionally trained, you uh, specialize in non-operative care of musculoskeletal pain and dysfunction employing multimodal approach, including the use of acupuncture. You're acupuncturist yourself, correct? Yes, I am. So that's one. Then you have studied lifestyle medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine through the Andrew Weil College at the University of Arizona. You have studied yoga and meditation, mindfulness. And as I already mentioned, you're the acupuncturist. So can you tell me how did you go from being a traditionally trained pain medicine specialist and physical medicine rehabilitation specialist to having all of these additional skills. And then we'll get to how you got to writing a book. Sure. And thank you for that grand introduction. I appreciate it. It's interesting. And I think you've probably found this with your patients as well. You get to a certain point and you sort of think there's got to be more, there's got to be more tools to offer my patients. So to answer your question, growing up, I was exposed to yoga and mindfulness just based on my cultural heritage. Uh, my parents are from India. And so, you know, I was exposed to mindfulness, meditation, yoga, spirituality at a young age. So that was sort of part of my normal. But I went through the traditional pattern, like you said, of medical school, internship, residency, and fellowship. And I got out into the real world. And, you know, as a young doctor, you're not always prepared for what you see. And it seemed like the only things that we were offering people were medications and sometimes injections. And it seems like when people had pain, that's sort of for their two choices. Sometimes they do a little physical therapy. Sometimes, you know, people didn't even mention that to them. And there was a whole arena of treatments that seems like we didn't know about or that patients weren't being told about. So acupuncture was something that I pursued after I graduated from all of my training. So after fellowship um, in medical school residency, um, I took a program for physicians and I found it to be immensely helpful. One beautiful thing about it is that there's really minimal to no side effects. So unlike most conventional treatments, which are really plagued with side effects, there's really little side effects. Of course, you can never say never, but they're very minimal typically. And it is a whole body treatment. And I know you work a lot with fibromyalgia patients, you know, and that's a whole body condition as well. And I found even though I focus primarily on back and neck pain, if you don't treat the whole person, you kind of miss the boat, right? So, you know, their back pain might get better temporarily, but then something else pops up somewhere else or the relief just doesn't last as long. So sort of taking a step back and looking for a more whole person integrative approach. That's what led me to acupuncture and then some of my other studies. You mean that program through Dr. Andrew Weil College or at, yeah, at the University of Arizona? Yeah. So that, that's came, a, that came after acupuncture training? I did. Okay. Yeah, actually, 
technically I'm not done with that. It's a two-year remote fellowship and I finished that in September. Okay. So that's pretty recent. So, and then you are, so you said you were exposed to yoga and meditation before even starting your residency. Does it mean that you also practiced like yoga and meditation on a regular basis? I wish I could say yes. <laughs> no, it means I was exposed to it as a child. And sometimes when you're exposed to something in your own culture or heritage, you um, don't see the value of it, or you even sort of turn away from it a little bit. And so it was something I, I was exposed to as a child. And then I sort of had to come back to in college, I actually did a research project on yoga and meditation in Pennsylvania, where I'm located versus in India and what the different motivations were for, pra- for people practicing it mm. in the program. So I okay. sort of started coming back to it in college. Tell me, how did you start incorporating in your uh, practice caring for patients with back pain? Because um, yoga meditation normally is not like the first thing we go to. So how did you start incorporating these non-traditional techniques? I guess we can still call them non-traditional techniques in your practice. Yeah. So uh, interestingly, and you probably found this as well, a lot of patients would ask me about some of these things. You know, people are curious and, and they want better choices. You know, they're tired of just sort of pills and shots and surgeries, they want something else. And so a lot of people will bring up yoga. Some people won't bring up mindfulness and I'll sort of have to mention it to them. Most people have heard about the different apps because there's so many nowadays. So it's pretty accessible and a lot of them are free. Yeah. It's something that I would sort of step back and mention to people. And that's what led me to form the Integrative Health Center, the Orthopedic Integrative Health Center, which is the center where I can spend 45 minutes one-on-one with the patient and really delve into all these things. So unfortunately, you know, with typical appointments, there's limited time with someone and it's hard to delve into all these different aspects of their lifestyle and health. When you have a little more time, you can really talk about this and go through diet, exercise, sleep, stress, and relationships, and how all of those things impact pain and sort of whole body health and inflammation. Mm-hmm. And is that what you do at the first visit with the patient or you invite them for follow-up or how, how do you structure your patient care? Yeah. So the first is a sort of that overview. So they fill out a pretty in-depth intake form, and then we go through that in detail. But I sort of have developed a system called the Relief 5R Plan. It's like the five R's of pain relief. And it's, it's about refueling, which refers to nutrition or diet, your fuel. And then it is recharge, which is about rest, revitalize, about exercise or activity level, refresh, which is about stress, and relate, which is about relationships. So we go through the sort of the five R structure. And we put that together with their intake and then their input in the visit. We come up with little tweaks they can make to help in sort of each of the sections. I actually call these little tweaks. It's a term I coined called micro boost. So it's little steps. That yeah, tell me add. about that. I saw it in your uh, bio. So tell me what do you mean by micro boost? Because I immediately thought about food. <laughs> so. Yeah, which is the, yeah, definitely one part of it. But yeah, micro boost. Um, and yeah, it's not necessarily food, but it's a little change that can make a big relief, especially synergistically with lots of little other changes to gather can give you more bang for your buck. Mm, okay. um, you know, so in terms of food, it would be, you know, the typical like replace soda with sparkling water, things like that to reduce sugar. But there's lots of little things that, you know, I guess we'll get to it later. But I go through in the book too, about little things you can do in each of those five are pillars to make a big difference in pain relief and, and really pain prevention, honestly, because it really does lower b- whole body inflammation which can help with pain overall. And your clientele, is it mostly patients with mechanical back pain or non-mechanical or kind of mixed pain state? Uh, What would you say? I would say it's mixed. So, I mean, I still see a traditional practice as well. So I see typical back and neck pain that you would send to a musculoskeletal orthopedic group. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also see integrative patients, uh, you know, certain days of the week. And so I have a little bit of both. 
And I actually see a lot of people who um, have had a joint replacement. They're kind of still struggling. You know, they're Mm -hmm. just not quite where they thought they'd be. Um, You know, sort of thought, oh, when I get my hip replaced, I'm going to be perfect. Everything will be great. You Mm -hmm. know, and there's still lingering issues. And it's because we have to look at the other lifestyle factors that affect pain, as opposed to just focusing on the one joint or the one area that um, is giving problem. Mm -hmm. Do you see also patients with fibromyalgia? I do see patients with fibromyalgia. Yeah, for sure. Do you apply the same five R process with them? And have you had success? I do. Yeah. I apply the same um, sort of system with them and I have had success, but I don't see as many fibromyalgia patients because it's, I'm an orthopedic group. So we just Mm -hmm. in general aren't referred as many people. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me how, what was the pathway for you from being a provider physician to writing a book? Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, well, it's funny because I actually always wanted to be a writer, but a fiction writer. So I never thought I would be a nonfiction writer. But it it came down to some of the things we've touched upon, which is that there aren't enough options out there for our patients. There just aren't for people who have chronic or ongoing pain or people who want to prevent pain. There's not a lot of choices. And so I wanted this resource to give to my patients and to my family members and even for myself. And there, there was not, it wasn't something I could find. I couldn't find anything like this out there on the market that really takes this approach to all lifestyle factors and has an integrative holistic view on how to treat pain and prevent pain. So you can find little pieces. Like I can find a great book about how diet affects pain, for example, or how Mm -hmm. stress affects pain, but not one that sort of encompassed all five of those pillars. Mm, Okay. So is that, tell tell us more about your book, by the way, the name is The Pain Solution and it's available on Amazon. I'm going to put a link in the show comments. Tell us about how you structured the book. Uh, tell us some secrets from it, if you can. Uh, secrets. Okay. Sounds good. Um, we definitely make this juicy and valuable for your readers. I think we've touched on a couple. So first of all, is the, the concept of a micro boost, right? Like a little step you can take to make a big difference. I think one thing that's interesting is that people talk about the gut microbiome, which is organisms that naturally occur in our GI system and our gut. And people talk about a lot for GI disorders, meaning gastrointestinal problems, but it actually affects pain as well. So there's definitely a pain gut connection as well, and really a pain joint connection. And there is data and research on that. So considering changing things in your diet, such as adding more fermented foods can actually affect inflammation and whole body pain as well. So sort of focusing on that refuel pillar, that nutrition pillar, Mm -hmm. that uh, the microbiome makes a difference there too. Uh, And I think it's often overlooked as something that can make a difference for pain. And sugar, as you know, is, is a huge issue. Yes, um, of course. It's my uh, nemesis too. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you tell patients? Give me some practical, like, what do you tell them how to, it's hard to tell them, well, don't eat sugar if we have been eating it for years and years. Uh, so how do you go about it? How do you go about those small changes that can make big long-term difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So just being more practical and, you know, about it, it's, it's really focusing on when the sugar intake is and what it is. And everything is in moderation. Obviously, if someone mm. could eat no sugar, that would be ideal, but that's really not realistic. So the concept is if someone enjoys a dessert after dinner, just changing what it is to the very least to not be a processed sugar or carbohydrate and to being something like yogurt, which is also fermented with fruits. So like berries, a couple of pieces of dark chocolate for that taste and that satisfaction. But that's sort of the concept as opposed to going to a lot of processed foods to make things that are made in nature, or even if it's homemade cookies that you can tweak as opposed to store-bought cookies, Mm. that makes a difference. If you can stop all the kind of white, the white carbs, 
the white breads, the white rice, the white pasta, and go to whole wheat, even though it's not exactly what we think of as sugar, that's still sort of a, the carbohydrate issue. Right. So it's making small changes like that that can make a big difference. Okay. How about recharging? The, that's, uh, is that about resting? or? Yeah. So it's about sleep. And so some of it is about you know building a sleep cave, which is sort of a, a oh. fun term. And, and, and the idea is just to have something that's cool and dark and comfortable that invites sleep. Oh, and that's sleep cave. I love the name. <laughs> yeah, something where that's what it's for, you know, and, and there's some data that shows having a cooler temperature makes a difference. So you sort of really do get cozy under the covers. I know for people with fibromyalgia, sleep and exercise are some of the key treatments. And so really make, doing everything we can to prioritize sleep. But there's also something considered like a worry journal, right? So if a lot of worries pop up at night and that keeps you from sleeping, kind of just make a note of it. The gratitude practice, and I'm sure you've gone through this before, you know, makes a big difference as well. And that's a nice way to leave your daytime stuff and transition to nighttime on a positive note. Have you heard of this term? Um, oh, I'm going to botch it, but it's bedtime revenge procrastination. I think I messed it up. It's revenge bedtime procrastination. You heard no, of a term like this? But I, I love it. If I think what it is, is it basically you do things, you plan things at bedtime for tomorrow or no? I, no, but that is actually a good point. <laughs> it's not exactly that, but it's um, okay. the concept of staying up late at night and binge watching TV or social media. Oh, yes. Okay. Guilty a little bit. I'm trying to get out of it. <laughs> I think we all are. Uh, what are your suggestions for how to combat it? You know, basically being having the self-discipline to make your sleep the priority. And if that's the person's go-to thing to be on social media or Netflix, what, how do you tell them to start changing it? So ideally, it would be no screens for 90 minutes before bedtime, which is almost impossible, right? That's, that's what the data shows that that would be ideal. I like people if they can do 30 minutes, and if that's too much, 15 minutes, at mm -hmm. least of having no screen before bedtime. So if it's not in your hand, then you're not going to get stuck in that endless cycle of scrolling or watching videos or whatnot. So even having an alarm on your phone. So if you're trying to go to bed at 10 p.m., let's say, at 9.30, have an alarm go off your phone, which says the phone time's done. You know, the TV time's done. Now it's time to read a book. Now it's time to do my mindfulness exercise or whatever other relaxing thing you do. So basically you're saying to set up a rule and follow it ourselves, like not just ignore the alarm, but actually, yes, this is my alarm. This is my hint to put the phone away. <laughs> right. Saying, no, no, you're right. That, that, that is what I'm suggesting, but it, it's, as you're suggesting, harder to, to do than say. And so even if you can say, well, I deserve to have 15 minutes of time without a screen and reframe it like that. This mm. is something I deserve for my health is to have 15 minutes without blue light glaring in my face. And I deserve 15 minutes of mindfulness or gratitude practice or reading a, a fiction book I enjoy that's not stressful. I um, deserve basically saying I deserve this time. Yeah, I deserve this. I earned this 10 minutes right after the whole day of running all over the place and doing things for your boss, or your family members, or, or what other other commitments you have. You know, I deserve this or I earn this, whatever sentiment works better for the individual. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it uh, as a way of reframing. What do you tell your clients or patients for exercise, especially for those uh, who might find exercise intimidating when they hear the word exercise? They're like, ugh. No. <laughs> what, do you, what do you tell uh, to those uh, patients? So uh, the recommendation, the formal recommendation is 
30 minutes, at least five days a week, which um, is 150 minutes a week. Mm -hmm. But even 30 minutes a day can be daunting for a lot of people with pain or with disabilities. So I tell people who I see in my program, the integrative program, you can do two 10-minute walks a day Mm -hmm. and schedule that into your day. That's beneficial just as a starting point. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, they've had their hips replaced or their knees replaced, or they have ongoing back pain or even fibromyalgia pain. And a 20-minute walk is really not realistic, you know, with where they are. So scheduling two 10-minute walks is one way to do it. Scheduling a 10-minute walk and then in the afternoon, uh, a yoga session, maybe with an online video, um, as long as you're getting some movement in your day. And there is data that breaking up movement is more beneficial than just sort of being gung-ho. So just doing 30 minutes of really hard, high-intensity exercise, then you sort of sit around for the other 23 and a half hours of your day really is not as beneficial as spreading it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about refresh? That was the next one, next R. Yeah. So that's about stress reduction. And I Let's actually- Let's talk about stress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I listened to the podcast episode you had with, with another one of your colleagues about mindfulness. And you know the data is just irrefutable about mindfulness activities for fibromyalgia, for low back pain, for pain in general, even non-orthopedic pain. So- Whatever we can do to have a little break for ourselves is beneficial. I actually call it an adult timeout. So when we were I kids- I saw that coming, yeah, adult yeah. timeout. Okay. And that means practicing either meditation or stillness or mindfulness uh, for whatever amount of time, or what is your approach? So the way I, I define it is 10 to 15 minutes on an activity that brings you joy or peace. Mm. So it doesn't have to be formal mindfulness. And I think just like with exercise, the concept of mindfulness or meditation can feel foreign or uncomfortable for some people. It could be 10 minutes of cooking. If you love cooking, it could be 10 minutes of drawing, of singing, of sewing, something that gets you into your zone or flow state where you're not so conscious of everything else. You're just in the moment. So in other words, you're not worried about what you have to get done or what happened yesterday. You're sort of totally present in your activity and mindful in your activity, that counts. So it doesn't have to be sitting for 10 minutes on your bed and saying, oh, you know, it, it can be an activity you enjoy that puts you in the moment. Got it. And uh, what do you tell clients who say, I just can't get the worry or whatever out of my head, like she or he has to think about work or what do you tell them is the best way to turn that part off, turn that part of the brain off and turn on the I'm just with myself and doing what makes me happy. I think that goes back to exploring what brings them that flow state, you know, and they, they have to sort of maybe brainstorm with you um, or their physician about when are they in that just present mindset. And like I said, it doesn't have to be something formal. It could be playing the guitar. It could be playing piano. Um, it doesn't have to be a formal mindfulness practice, but it's really thinking back to, and, and for some people, it may be thinking back to their childhood. You know, I used to doodle when I was a kid and I used to really like drawing for some people and going back to that and rediscovering that. And for other people, it might be using a formal app for mindfulness. Some people just need some more direction and having, you know, step one, do this, close your eyes. Step two, take a big breath in is helpful. Some structure is helpful for some people. And for other people, if the worries are really bothersome, I mean, they may need a therapist or someone else to help them with that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So how about the last step, the relate? What do you focus on in relationship uh, realm? That's a lot about uh, reframing as well, because we all have to deal with difficult people, no matter 
with the situation, mm-hmm. whether you're at home, whether you're working, whether you're doing both. Um, there's always challenging people. And part of that relate chapter is about relating with yourself too, and sort of having a bigger purpose or goal. So if you sort of feel like you have something you're working towards or that you're contributing to your community, it helps you get over little bumps along the way. So for mm-hmm. example, for you, perhaps, you know, helping people with fibromyalgia do better, you know, that's part of your life work. And there's little bumps along the way, but at the end of the day, you feel like you're working towards that and you have a bigger purpose. And that makes the pain and the other things that come along just a little bit more tolerable. So I think sort of having a sense of purpose and it doesn't have to be, you know, curing cancer and things like that. It can be making my community better. It can be, you know, helping the kid across the street and tutoring him in math because his parents are too busy. It can be little things where you feel like you have a role and you make a difference. Right. I love it. Or sense of serving or contributing. I love it. Yeah. So, and that's all in your book. Uh, is it already available on um, for purchase or is it still on pre-order only? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And actually it, it's on pre-order right now, but it's supposed to come out May 17th, but it um, people are already receiving it. So I guess it's- Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm definitely ordering it. And is it going to be available also on Kindle or- I believe so. Yeah, it'll be Kindle and then um, they're working on the audio book as well. Yes. Oh, wow. What else can you tell us about the book or about any um, recommendations or words of wisdom that you would share with us, you would be willing to share? Oh, that's a, that's a tall order, <laughs> words of wisdom. Um, I, think, I think it really boils down to just taking small steps and not beating ourselves up about setbacks because that's going to happen. And realizing that there is no one simple cure, but it's little pieces that put together like pieces of a puzzle that are going to help move us forward. And sometimes we have to figure out which piece goes where. And even in the book, when we talk about the micro boosts, you know, I mentioned that, you know, here's a list of micro boosts. And after we go over the data behind it, but you have to figure out which one works for you mm-hmm. and you have to be concrete with it. So, you know, willpower really is not enough. So you mm-hmm. can't just say, for example, you know, oh, eating more vegetables decreases inflammation and pain. So I want to eat more vegetables. No, you have to set a goal and you have to say, okay, every night at dinner, half my plate will be filled with spinach. So it has to be like a who, what, when, where, why, how thing for it to work. Because if you just say you want to eat more vegetables, that's not going to happen. That There's no structure to that. And so there's, there's, no, there's no way for you to move forward from that, right? As soon as you forget that later in the day, it's gone. But if you write down and you say out loud, I will fill half my plate at dinner with spinach, there's what you're doing, that's when you're doing it and how you're doing it. And it's written down. So now it's actually a structured goal as opposed to a mm-hmm. concept. It's your goal and you own it and it works in your life. I love that. So that is extremely helpful. Um, making small steps and make basically making a plan and um, making it concrete or specific so that we actually get to do it rather than having specific um, general, general rec- idea of, oh, I'm going to eat more veggies. What is actually that I'm going to do and committing to it? Yeah, exactly. And I think writing things down uh, helps with accountability and helps make it a concrete plan too, as opposed mm-hmm. to just thinking about it. Uh, I think that makes a big difference for people. And as does tracking. So the human brain, you know, thrives on dopamine rewards, right? Like the, the kind of rewards is feel good feeling and um, tracking your progress can be helpful. So whether that's writing a little note in your phone or in an app, or even an old fashioned calendar um, and putting a check mark, or even if 
you know, going back to our childhood days, a little sticker uh, on the day that mm-hmm. you did that, that you did half the plate had spinach. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the week, looking at that and really celebrating the little wins, which I know is a cheesy term, but it, there's so much truth to it. You know, you have to pat yourself on the back sometimes when you do something where you won't be motivated to keep going. So looking back to the week and said, oh, look, four out of the seven days, so the majority of the days, I had half my plate full of vegetables. That's pretty good compared to where I was a month ago. You know, that's pretty good. And so I think having that concrete goal plus the tracking works well together. And where is your practice located? I'm in the Philadelphia area in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. And you take, uh, you're currently accepting new patients? Uh, yeah, I am um, for our general practice. And then the integrative is uh, a separate program within the practice. Yes. Okay. And that's all in person or you do also virtual consults for people out of state? Uh, we can do uh, virtual. I don't know all the details of that, but, but yeah, virtual is an option. We were doing that a little more in the pandemic as many of us were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure of the, all the details of that with the licensing. And the link that you gave me for the practice was, um, actually, I'm not sure. I, oh, the RossmanOrtho.com is that? Yeah. And then the black backslash OIHC is for the integrative program. Okay. I will, I will post all of these. Anything else that you would like to share with us um, that you found extremely helpful on your own journey, on the journey with helping your patients and clients with pain? Other than what you already mentioned to us? I think what, what I found really fascinating was in some ways, it's all of the things that sort of make sense. And that maybe, you know, your grandmother told you about eating better, standing mm-hmm. up straight, being polite, <laughs> you know, all those things. But now there's just so much evidence and data there that it's mind blowing and undeniable. And so I think for me in writing the book, just finding the evidence and, and seeing that it's there and breaking it down to little steps that are practical. I think that's what was really neat about the whole process is is seeing the data and then designing a path to make it more practical for people. Uh, I think that's the most rewarding part. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all the knowledge and sharing the tips and sharing your knowledge in form of your book. I will, I recommend everyone to order it. I will be ordering it. I thought I already did, but I haven't received it yet. And thank you for your time and generosity. I'm aware that you were not feeling super well. So thank you double for spending time with me while you were not feeling super or hundred percent. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. I'm so happy to be here. And I think it's such a great service you're doing for people with fibromyalgia and pain. So thank you too. If you love this episode, please share with someone who can benefit from it too. I'm also available on Facebook. Uh, my personal page is Martina Lenartova, L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A. And my business page has name Martina Ziegenbein Coaching, Z-I-E-G-E-N-B-E-I-N. As always, I appreciate lovely reviews or any questions, concerns, or suggestions. I'm here for it. My website is www.winningatfibromyalgia.com.